Okay, so my name is Sanford. I'm one of uh, a doctor, <laughs> one of the doctors. I'm a medical doctor working in psychiatry, previously worked in maternity, also yoga teacher, yoga therapy student, uh, under the great Colin, and I'll let him introduce himself. Um, my name is Colin. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, um, and specialise in working with people one-to-one um, -one, um, and in various different situations and scenarios. Today we're looking at hypermobility and it's an area that in the last sort of 25 years of being a yoga teacher, I've come across a lot. Um, Stanford, just to ask you a question, um, could you could you define hypermobility from a from a Western medical perspective, please? Sure. And I think for once, I'm going to blame this one on you. I think you actually suggested this topic. So if I, you know, get flustered at any point, we blame Colin. Anyway, so from Western, uh, Western point of view, hypermobility is the ability of an individual to move maybe one, maybe more um, than one joint, uh, more than the range of um, a normal societal normal. Um, so let's say, for example, the hip. Hip flexion, so flexion is anything when you bring two plane closer towards each other. So that means bringing your thigh closer towards your chest. Um, flexion and extension is when you bring the two planes slightly more further away from each other. So that angle for most people is about 125. So if you think about it, it's just a little bit beyond uh, your sitting range and you can hug your chest, uh, hug your thighs all the way towards your chest. That seems to be usually most people's range. Now, I think one of the main thing we're gonna talk about and we seem to be always talking about this is what is constitute normal? When you say this is the normal range, who does that include and who does that exclude? And I think hypermobility is the individual who is slightly just outside of the upper limit. Colin, how about you? What is going to be your definition from yoga? See, this is where it becomes quite complicated because um, there is a certain range of movement, of course. And as a yoga teacher and yoga therapist, we need to, and I use the word need, you need to understand what the normal or what the possible range of movement is for a particular joint. So this will be the first step for me as to what, what is that possibility? The next step is that, is that actually each person is different. So almost in a way, I would tear up the normal range of movement and start to look at actually the person's constitution and does their range of movement and their constitution sort of meet each other? Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I think I'm gonna jump right in and ask you a difficult question now. As a yoga teacher and also as a student to you, why is it important for me to know if some of my students hypermobile in a yoga class or outside yoga class? Okay, so you've asked now a, a quite an interesting question with regard to why it's important. Um, I have three separate case studies I want to talk to you about today. Um, the first one is, we'll call it case study A. It's, it's a young person. Um, hypermobile, 23 years old, and they've got a, a, an extreme scoliosis within the spine. So the, the, there's a curvature of the spine, because what you'll find when we just sort of break down hypermobility a little bit more is that there tends to be lots of effects within 
the within either the bones, the joints, the soft tissue, there seems to be something quite unstable within the whole tissue. And I think you and I want to talk about ligaments. So we'll talk about ligaments, we'll talk about muscle tissue, we'll talk about cartilage, we'll talk about bone structure as well. So for me, there are sort of four different variables. Um, the first is muscle tissue, mamza. Um, it, it's, it's warm in nature. And, and this becomes very important as the muscle and ligament, they, there's something very, very different about them. Ligament is, is like a, it's like a binding tool. And, and Stanford, I'm, I'm, what I don't want to do is I don't want to explain what you're going to explain. So I'll step back a touch from this. But I'll no, just go right ahead, I'm happy. Um, but muscle is warm in nature. Then there's fat as well, which forms part of the actual joint itself that is, is moving. And this is cold in nature. And now why this becomes very important is that when we start to look at hypermobility and we look at the actions people are taking, it means that there's an impact often on the muscle, on the fat, the lubricant within the actual joint itself, and also with regard to the actual structure of the joint. So what we're doing when we're coming to observe someone is we're looking at the size of the joint, we're looking at the shape of the joint. We're coming to look at whether the joint is small, whether it's medium, whether it's large. We're also coming to look at whether it, it moves in the way that it could move, whether it moves to an extreme. We're coming to look at whether there's any deviation within the movement as it's coming to move or whether there's any dysfunction within the actual movement itself. I'm coming to look at lots of different things within a joint movement. And I'm coming to look at whether there's compensation through the body as the person moves. Now, with case study A, what happens is that when the lady takes her arms up into the air, there's, there's a whole range of different movements that are going on through her body. And these are lots of different compensations. Now, she's very, very, very mobile. But what she's got is she's actually got an extreme scoliosis within the body. And it means that what's happening is that each of the movements that she takes has knock-on effects through the whole of the body. And because she's so mobile, the whole body seems to sort of move in this kind of very sort of particular, it, it, it just, it's very porous in the way that it's moving. So she's quite young. And I want to talk more about the approach with people who are quite young with regard to this. Then I've got a second case study. Um, second case study is a, a lady, she's roughly about 50 years old, and she has, she's extremely hypermobile. She's in a huge amount of pain through the whole of her body. And even if she's, she's an author and she, when she's writing, she types at her desk and she, the knock-on effect of her creating an action means that she's in pain right the way through her body. I'll discuss more about this because there's another approach with regard to this. Both cases, hypermobile. Next case is a, a lady, an older lady. She's in her 70s. And she only discovered a few years ago that she was hypermobile. And she discovered it because actually there was a huge amount of pain within her body, lower part of her body in her limbs. And it was, she would do sort of gentle exercise um, but she would have this kind of tingling and pain sensation. It, there was a discomfort between the actual muscles that are working and the connective tissues that were operating around there as well. So I want to present these three 
different cases. I want to talk about them with regard to, firstly, the muscle, the fat, the bone, the nerves, how all of this is working, the fact that they're all individual cases. The next thing is that I want to present the fact that each person is an individual and because the hypermobility and hypermobility is on a physical level, we tend to use asana, physical postures, in order to affect the body. And what this means is that for me, it's 100% important that the asanas are adapted to meet the person where they're at and fit the person, rather than the person is pushed into doing a form of asana that they're supposed to be doing. So partly, and again, what I want to discuss today is I want to discuss about the person's pattern and belief with regard to what they should be doing, how they should be doing it, and what is going on with them when they're actually looking at mobility. And with the arsenal, we've got numbers of variations. We can either work dynamically or we can work statically, which means you can stay. And this is, does this answer your question, Stanford? I think so. I think so. I, was, it just long, long, was it long-winded? No, 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 it was good. It was really, really good. I've seen a lot of head nodding and I think I really resonate your bringing in of the muscles, fats and ligaments. Because I think when we think about hypermobility, a lot of the time we think about the joint and the joint seems to be on an entity on its own, which it really isn't. It, it, it's the muscles on the either side of it. It's the ligament, which is kind of like the stringy fibery bits that connects the either muscle to the bone or the bone to the bone itself, or sometimes muscle to muscles. Um, they sometimes come in the name tendon, sometimes come in the name fascia. And then also there's the bone itself. There's the potential space and fluid and fats. There's a lot is involved. I'll say, um, if it's okay, I might not actually come in too, too much from Western medicine perspective today, as I usually don't anyway, um, <laughs> because I think, I think you, you, you can Google these things, uh, hypermobility. If you Google like uh, much of my research, you can come across with the same thing. And I have to say, uh, from a Western medicine point of view, we usually advocate moderate exercise or exercise in moderation, physiotherapy. There's no specific diet. There's no sp specific medication or surgery that can help. Um, it's mainly like managing symptoms as kind of a lot of our um, topics are. I think from my perspective, I'm more going to share my own kind of experience a little bit because to a certain extent, if you see my post in Instagram, I'm slightly hypermobile or if you have done a yoga class with me, I'm slightly hypermobile. And I think from my perspective, hypermobility is interesting because my hypermobility comes from my ligament. It's a little bit stretchier, it seems to be, a bit stretchier compared to most normal people. But what happened in my body is actually that my muscle have to compensate. I mean, something has to compensate. Um, so my analogy is if you imagine muscles are like slugs, like slugs or snails. I know it's a bit disgusting, but work for me. And um, our bones are trees, like tree trunks. So human beings somewhere in the middle in the spectrum, you know, we don't static, don't move, or, you know, we slightly sway when the when blows like the tree. We're also not like a slug where, you know, a puddle on the floor. We're somewhere in the middle. And unfortunately, these two constitution of our body is like into two extremes. So the ligament somewhere in between, it has to have enough flexibility 
to allow us to bring and move the bones a little bit, but at the same time has enough protectiveness around the, bo around the muscles so that they can not get too wide, too flexible. My own experience is when I, my um, ligaments and my fascias become a little bit overstretchy, my muscle become really, really, really tight. And my massage therapist can definitely vouch for this. Like every time I go, she spent hours trying to just work out some knots. And, and it seems to be there's a tightness somewhere in the, in the body that uh, you just have to compensate. So that's why I was interested to ask you, Collins, like in the yoga class, uh, I know you're showcasing with some case studies. I don't know which A, B or C I'm going to fit into, or maybe I'm a mixture of A and B, A or C or something like that. Um, how, how should I do my yoga? Or should I be doing yoga? Well, I, I really like what you just said about the ligaments and muscles and the tightness that occurs because for me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the ligaments hold things together. The muscles allow for movement to occur. So there's only, what, 5% elasticity in a, in a ligament? Yeah, something like that. Right, and the rest of the mobility actually comes from the elasticity, comes from the muscle. Now, what if you have very loose ligament, but yet not much tone in the muscle? So the normal approach with regard to this is let's say it's to work with strengthening the muscle. Is that correct? Yep, so this would be the normal approach with this. Now, one thing that I come across quite a lot within classes and quite often when I'm teaching people is that we want to feel. We want to feel that we've actually done something. So we're actually in a battle quite a lot of the time by asking people to work with their body in a particular way, to protect their body but actually they can't feel, there isn't a feeling or isn't an awareness of what they're doing because actually you take your body into position and you actually feel, oh, I've stretched something that feels quite good. But actually that stretching something is actually causing the issue. So if I give an idea, um, one of the biggest issues I've seen quite a lot is with regard to sacroiliac joints. And so Sanford, can I just ask you just to explain quickly sacroiliac joint and I'll jump back and continue my story, is that all right? So sacroiliac joint, sorry, can't speak, uh, is the hip joint. So sacrum is the um, tailbone, you know, the, the inverted triangular shaped bone in the back. You can feel it yourself pretty much at the end of the spine. And ilium, which is part of the iliac crack, uh, crest, uh, which is the hip bone, the kind of the butterfly bow shape bone on the side. So sac sacroiliac joint is joint in between. So you have one on each side. So what I've seen is that you've got the pelvic bowl, which so it's two bowls and it's, it's wrapped together with all this wonderful ligament all around. And you've seen this quite a lot when you, in your, as an obstetrician. So you've seen this hugely. Is that it, it, it's like, it's kind of like a mobile pelvis. Now imagine you've got this loose ligament mobile pelvis and you're told to take a position or you're taught to take a position and the most common one I see is um, a position called Utita Trikonasana, which is where you take a triangle position. And quite often the triangle position is taken where you step the legs wide and then you turn one foot out 90 degrees and the heels have to be in line with each other, has to be perfectly aligned. And then you have to reach the body outwards right the way to the side. And then you have to bring the hands down to touch the toe and you have to stay in between two panes of glass. Now, for me, this is one of the biggest issues 
possible because it puts so much strain and tension onto all of the ligaments. And when you've got someone that's hypermobile, it goes straight into the sacroiliac joint and causes lots of back pain. Um, so what I'm coming to look at when I'm actually coming to look at the way that people are moving when they're hypermobile is I'm looking at how the joint is moving. So how the knee joint is. So quite often you get hyperextension of the knee joint. The knee joint just drops downwards just a touch. And just to soften the knee just a little, just to bend the knee just a little to bring the joints in line, engages the thigh muscle perfectly. And so there's an activity that runs from the hip right the way through to the foot. But the next thing for me is how someone uses the pelvis, because you have to remember that the arms and the legs are levers. So the, the legs are levers up into the pelvis, the arms are levers up into the upper part of the body. So with this, it means that we're using the levers of the arms and legs to actually come to affect the structure of the body. And when someone's hypermobile, they're looking for a particular feeling because they can go to a particular place, but actually that place where they get the feeling actually causes a problem later on. Does that make sense, Stanford? Oh, absolutely. And I, th I think your example of the um, pregnant woman's Perfect, because that's one of the group, as you said, uh, when I was an obstetrician, I worked as an obstetrician for about four, four years or so. Uh, it's really good because when your body is in that hypermobile state and you're not very connected all the time, what's exactly happened? Because there's so much thing happening in your body and pregnancy is such a condition that, uh, for that. Uh, it's very, very difficult to feel. Uh, I mean, there's other groups of people that are also thrown to hyper hypermobility and I'm excluding what in Western medicine called the pathology. So uh, things like Ennis-Danner syndrome, Marfan syndrome, osteogenesis imperfecta. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about like young children, especially mm -hmm. females, uh, apparently uh, ethnicity, Africa, uh, Af African, sorry, I should say, uh, also Asian as well. Um, and also obviously um, pregnancy. The, these are the people that, often have these presentation that we can see. And I do wonder if it's a, a certain connection or sometimes the lack thereof or the slightly reduced connection that they have with their body because so much other things happening. Like for example, for children, they are learning how to be connected to their body. That's part of their growing up, uh, growing up especially during puberty, when there's so much happening at the same time, not just physically, but hormonally, mentally, there's so much going on. Sometimes, is that something happening? I'm not sure. I'm just posing the questions. Um, I think another group that I would include myself again, just sharing a little bit of my own journeys, when you do hot yoga, <laughs> I, I've done I, my first training as a yoga teacher is actually a school that do a lot of hot yoga the room's constantly like 30, 30 degree 34 degree um, and I think when you're doing a very fast power yoga sequence it's already difficult even in a room temperature when, when you crank up the temperature suddenly your breathing become a lot harder however your muscles I mean my muscles I'm not going to generalize now and my muscles and my ligaments clearly loving it because the heat itself really help them to expand and become more flexible and go for it but at the same time I think my connection to my body is a lot less because I'm not paying attention to it exactly as, as Colin saying in my trikonasana I'm not paying attention to my sacroiliac joint I'm probably paying attention to my breath I'm paying attention to how to you know stay stable and not fall down on the floor how I'm not dripping my sweat everywhere on the floor and I do wonder is it sometimes that because we're not connected to our body 
we allow our body to go hypermobile. What's your thought on that, Colin? Well, I love the way that you just mentioned about the environment there and putting yourself, your, your body in a warm environment. Remember that what I just said at the beginning, that muscles, muscles are warm, ligaments are warm. And when you increase or heat them up, they, they become warm, they become more mobile. So if you're someone that's hypermobile and you put in more heat into it, it actually increases the mobility. But actually it's the opposite direction that is needed. Actually, it, it, it means that the, the muscles actually need not to be moved or not to be heated up. They need to be, need to be strengthened. The muscles need to be strengthened and it needs to be static. Yet the people who are hypermobile tend to be drawn to movement. They want to move and want to move and want to move. They want to become yoga teachers. They want to become dancers. They No, seriously, because actually almost they can move their body in all these different ways. So there becomes a difference between what we need. Are you saying that we like to show off? Would I ever say that? Of you? Um, so... Is there, is there, you know, so there is a difference between what we need and what we want. There's, you know, there seems to be this sort of this battle going on, and I have some of had some of the hardest times with people based on their education about what they think they actually need, and you know, stepping someone forwards based on the fact that they don't instinctively know what they want. They kind of, they go by what they've been told. They go by what they've picked up from other things or seen. And they've sort of slowly discovered things over time with their knowledge. And, and it's sort of, sort of bringing all of this together so that someone can actually understand that actually yoga is not harming yourself, it's maintaining yourself, it's protecting yourself. It's putting into your body what it needs each day so that actually what you can do is live the day and live your life in the best possible way. I really agree. I, again, I'm just gonna use myself as an example, uh, I think having the hypermobility, going to a class and go crazy stretch. And I mean, I, I not personally all the time, it's like some of the stretches I've seen, crazy stretch in class, you, you probably felt, or I probably felt very good at the time, but then I often pay for it. Like I have just an example. I sometimes, you know, when you do lunge posture and you're in twist, and I can bind my arms very easily. I mean, I've done yoga for the first time when I was 17 and I can bind straight away. So that's nothing to be envious about. It's just how what my body's like. Mm. I can do go into extreme twists and during the twist, especially with assisting by some teachers, that it feels really good. But more often than not, like two or three days after, my spine would feel so destabilized and actually just feel not good. And I have lots of pain, which is one of the things that hypermobile can give to people is the pain around those areas, usually around lower back, usually around shoulder joint, hip joints, where, you know, the joints are a little bit more 
vulnerable, if that's the right thing to say. Um, and they can feel a bit more tired because they are like the muscles cramping because they're constantly like compensating a little bit. Um, obviously there are other things that can be associated as well. Um, again, I'm now talking slightly more generalized group like in pregnancy or if you have generalized uh, connective tissue disorders like Marfan's or anastenos, then sometimes you can get pelvic floor issues as well, or you can have like heart midline structure defects. But most of the time, it is troubling with pain. And I think, at least in my practice, I have to learn to practice with the mentality. I'm not only doing this posture or doing this extreme level of stretch because it feels good now. It's because I'm doing it so that it will feel good later. It is not just only benefiting me now. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm making any sense. Uh, but before I go, um, Nicola also asks, are hypermobile individuals more susceptible to getting arthritis? Um, I, I am not sure if there's a correlation I can say from the Western medicine point of, point of view. I will once, once again use uh, pregnant women as an example. I think, so hypermobile during pregnancy, um, that's because you have more, uh, sorry, sorry, more progesterone and also more um, a hormone called elastin. You might have heard of it, you may not. Basically these two hormones work really, really well so that your, uh, the pregnant woman's body can get a little bit more supple, especially around the pelvis. Because let, let's face it, normal pelvis shouldn't be able to squeeze the baby through. Um, we have to make sure that there's enough space for it to get through. Um, now, unfortunately, the women usually have about, what, 40 weeks? In, in general, like a normal gestation is 37 weeks to 42. So you have roughly around 40 weeks to get open and more flexible and more mobile. If you kind of let the normal process to take on its toll, then it's usually okay. But also you have to remember that it will at least take the same amount of time, if not more, for the body to recover. If you overstretch in this period, which um, I'm also certifying in pregnancy yoga training, if you overstretch in this period, in order to recuperate and recover, it's gonna be a lot, lot harder. I'm not sure if there's a lot of evidence for these individuals have got arthritis, so I'm not quite sure if I've answered your question, Nicola, but Colin might be better at this than I am. Um so we, within the joint itself is that we tend to find that hypermobility there tends to be a lot of wear and tear so with wear and tear it lends itself more towards osteoarthritis um, in the longer term so it, it, so there is a kind of direction towards this um, with regard to rheumatoid arthritis it's more sort of metabolism or inflammation issues so if there was inflammation within that area so sometimes there's inflammation um, but mostly with hypermobility it tends to be wear and tear because of the looseness of the ligaments and so that 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 for me would be what i tend to see in the longer term with this Here's another question for you from Leah. Uh, so Colin, you said hypermobility operates on the physical plane, but I have started wondering rather it is emotional too. I have started using props in my yoga to moderate the extreme hip openings and it kind of feels like it is an physiological, sorry, psychological moderation, uh, moderating as much as a physical one. Is that crazy? No, it's not we 
it's a very interesting idea, something that I've been reflecting on for a, a, a long time. It, it does being having a mobile body which can do lots of different asana does that mean i have an open mind and does it mean that i can emotionally process or does it mean that i am spiritual now for me having observed different people at different stages of life um, and and evolving through a process we learn about the world through the body that we're given. We're given the body for a particular reason. And when we're born with this body that is a hereditary body, we start to learn about the world through the body. And so almost we're learning from the inside out through this outer mobility that is in place. And so we start to lay down rules and patterns and behaviors based on the ability of the body and learning how the body's working. And so in one way, there isn't any restriction quite often through the body. And so I can see a correlation with regard to the boundaries that we lay down and the associations that we lay down, but I don't think there is a, a very clear line between the two. I think that there's a, a lot of learning. There's a lot of um, a lot of it. How do I articulate this? I don't think I don't think it's clear with regard to. Can I jump in and share one theory that I have? Okay. So I I was work I I've been talking to one of my massage therapists about this. Mm. Main reason is I, as I already shared in the last half hour that I tend to be slightly hypermobile, but be, believe me or not, uh, when I was a kid I asked absolutely not. I'm literally completely opposite of hypermobile. Uh, in primary school in Hong Kong, we have these like health tests for children where you have to sit them down there's a board in front of them and you ask them to fall forward like literally do a full fall and you measure how far the fingers can touch and like go towards their toes and I think I must be seven or eight because I came here relatively young um my, my hands really far off from my toes so as a very very young kid I'm really really not mobile and I remember in secondary school it's the same I have to do a lot of stretching before I start running otherwise I pull muscle uh, I can hardly bring my leg onto a table let alone like a proper like split um so one thing I have learned actually is because I think my personality is quite a stressy one in case you didn't pick it up from the speed I'm talking in and the tone I'm usually talking um, and I think when I learned about breathing I think it was that was a time it was before my proper yoga practice as well as when I start learning about my own breath and start taking paying attention to like slowing down um, like having that process of understanding why I'm being stressed, I think that actually start having a knock-on effect onto my body and I allow my body to become more relaxed. 
because I think I think as Colin said before, and I will say the same thing, um, like only about five to ten percent of your flexibility come from your fashion and your ligaments. And I, I think, you know, if we're defining hypermobility as something that's outside the normal range, first of all, we have to look at what is the normal range. I think it probably is fair to say that most people in urban setting, uh, urban life is quite stressed. I mean, including kids, you know, their exams are crazy. I would not want to take any secondary or primary school exam nowadays because they, they are insane. Um, and in Asia is even worse. Um, I, think, I think there is a certain correlation that I would like to assume that because we're living in such a highly strong society, our body do tend to tense up. And those of us who have a bit more tool to, to at least temporarily, I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that I'm not a stressed person at all now, um, but temporarily, like when I'm in a yoga, yoga posture and when I regulate my breathing, I can temporarily relax part of my body enough that it, it, it become a little bit stretchier than the person on the next mat. Does that make sense or am I rambling again? No, I think you're the second category. You see, the second category learns from the outside inwards. So the first category is born with a, the body is very hypermobile and they have to learn from the inside out. So a lot of the rules they apply are based on this direction of learning through the body this way. And then the reverse is when the body's very stiff, it starts off in, in, in a way where you start to learn about yourself in the opposite direction. So thank you. So there, there seems to be both sides. There's, there's what Leo was saying is, is, you know, there seems to be something interesting. There's, there's learning about boundaries or supports or not going as far as we would have done before and how we get the awareness or, or is there a correlation between underlying patterns of behavior that we've laid down over years from an early, early, early age out through our body and how we haven't realized those, but how they've, those patterns of behavior have affected all aspects of our life. And how then do we actually create a new structural way of working where we actually find support of stability, of awareness of an existing pattern of actually creating a new pattern through awareness or preventing injury and maintaining or protecting ourselves at not just a physical level, but actually at a mental, emotional, and, a, and also a pattern-based level. For Celia saying this, and the opposite way around for when we are learning the process of discovering how to how our bodies actually work or how we operate through our bodies in the opposite direction. So from the outside, inwards. Does that make sense, Stanford? Yeah, it does. And I, I quite like it that I don't like to categorize in people, but then it, it shows there's a spectrum of different people who can have different kind of hypermobility. And thank you for answering my question too, like where, where does mine sort of come from? Uh, I do wonder though, because I think we, we literally spent the last, what, 35 minutes kind of saying that hypermobility is a problem and it is and it causes a lot of pain it can in the long run encourage wear and tear although i personally will err on the side of caution where it, i think it depends on how you use the joints not all hypermobile individuals will have 
a lot weren't hey if you're more cautious about it you you may not and people who are not hypermobile if they lean into their joint a bit too much they can get um wear and tear or arthritis in their joints as well um but i wonder is there any benefit for being hypermobile other than you know you can show off in your yoga class because some uh, from a chinese medicine point of view again i'm gonna talk up, up a little bit about everything um it seems to there seems to believe where so in Chinese medicine, it talks a lot about qi, you know, the energy flow in the body. And when and it likes to talk a lot about how the flow can be stagnated, can be depleted, and obviously like a river, you don't you want neither to have and you want the qi, you want the life energy, life forces to keep flowing. And there seems to be a belief that a lot of the qi, a lot of the energies kind of reside or rely or dependent on the, the fascist system. Uh, I, again, I'm not an expert in Chinese medicine, so don't quote me on anything, but like a lot of the acupressure points, acupuncture, a lot of the uh, physical manipulation treatment, they are based on that layer of the body a little bit more compared to muscles and other areas. Um, so whenever we have someone who's slightly more mobile, um, at least again, coming back to my uh, experience back when I'm back in China, back home, uh, they see my body, they will say, oh, actually your body's way more supple, like your ligaments, your fascia's are a little bit more supple. That's really good. That means that your immunity is stronger, your cheese flowing is a good thing. Is, is there such a thing in Ayurveda or yoga or is this only a Chinese thing? Um, from what I've discovered, it, it, it's, a, it's a Chinese thing. Um, I'm sorry to say. Hey! <laughs> I, I know, I know. Um, what we have is we've got two opposite forces to work with. We've got one which is with regard to stability. Stability is the capacity to have the strength that one needs and also the flexibility that one needs in order to do the tasks that one needs to do. So we adjust the aspects of stability and we adjust the aspects of flexibility. We've also got the capacity to target different parts of the body by using different positions in order to work for a therapy basis. So realistically, we're using positions in order to prepare the body so that the natural energy of the body moves around in the way that it should move. If it over moves, then there tends to be an imbalance within the system. So Vyanavata is, is, controls the movement in the body. If there is an over movement of this, we tend to, you get, tend to get ticks. You tend to get sort of just, you know, imbalances within the system. So what we're looking at doing is we need the container, the physical container, the physical body to have the appropriate stability and the appropriate flexibility in order that we can then harness the natural energy within the body in order to go for a deeper journey within. So if it's over mobile, there tends to be lots of compensations that happen through the body. Does that make sense, Stanford? It does. And I'm also quite interested because I think we heard a little bit about B, of the case study and also a did you did we mention anything about c no let me let me talk a little through this a little more um so a is very interesting she's young 23 24 years old um came across her when she was 17 years old about to have a an operation and 
when I did the examination of her body, incredibly mobile, could do absolutely every single position. And she'd never done anything before. She had hardly used her body at all for anything. So when she did stuff, she would shake a lot all over the place because there was just no strength in her body at all. But she had this amazing curvature within the spine. And so I said to her, I said, we can do something. We're going to give it three months and we'll work together. But I need you to do this every single you know all the time and she could do any position so she could put her hands to the ground she could hit leg over her head she could do absolutely everything but it brought everything right the way back and started to educate her because for me at a young age it's all about learning it's about learning to understand about cause and effect to learn about if i do this this happens if i do that that happens and the way that we were learning is we were learning about pain she was in this discomfort. She was always doing this with her back, trying to click it back again like this, because it was always going out. And all of her, the, all of the pelvis was just so mobile. The whole body was just really mobile. Legs, you know, like they, they would lock out completely all the time. There was pressure in the back of the legs. And um, she would get, she, one shoulder was up like this. She'd have a lot of aching in this way. And we used asymmetrical position after asymmetrical position not dynamically, but with lots, like Leo was saying, with lots of supports, lots of blocks, lots of walls, lots of tables, lots of chairs. And again and again, using this to give her more and more and more strength within the muscle groups within her body. And so she's been doing this for six years, huge success. Another lady, um, actually a similar age to this when I first met her, um, she was, incredibly mobile absolutely incredibly mobile and she, in a class she'd go to more and more and more and more extremes so if you were doing let's say shalabhasana locust in a class she she would want to stand up and drop back and hold her ankles she was that type of thing and in a way she was also the type of personality that she wouldn't accept anything differently so for me there are there are people that i come across within yoga who will listen to advice and listen to help and there are other people that will just actually just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing that mobility does that make sense stanford it does so i, I was actually intrigued about the first example so you're now saying actually using the props can I, can I ask, or is this something that's a bit too complicated to explain now? Is that physical support something more mental as well? Or is it just to remind her what is going on in the body? Because I know your, hopefully I know a little bit of your teaching. We tend not to use prop too much. Hmm. What would be the reason to introduce prop in those situations? So she doesn't go too far. Because she's got the capacity to go so far. If I said to you, do partial Uttanasana, so one leg to one side, one foot forwards, hips square, come forwards, you can go forwards, you can put her head onto her leg, she can have her leg straight, she can touch the ground, but if she bends her leg slightly and presses her hands up against the wall, she doesn't go too far, but she gets the movement that she needs with her spine, she gets some strength in her body, and she just doesn't go too far. So for me, it's actually putting structure in place to make sure that there is and she understands it and she's aware of it, 
Because again, remember how difficult awareness is. Awareness is something that we're creating through an experience and getting a feedback. It's really difficult because often we're not aware of what we're not aware of. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's really interesting. Um, so yeah, it's, it's this type of thing. Does that make sense, Sanford? Yeah, and if we're talking about awareness other than asana, is there any other tools or any other yoga tools that you will encourage or you will consider, let's just say, in, 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 in classes that involve people who have hypermobility? Every single one of them. I tend to use touch quite a lot and I tend to use breathing a lot. Um, so touch, getting people to place a hand on a particular part of the body to be aware. There's nyasa. So be able to touch a part of the body so that someone's aware of what's happening placing a hand just onto the back and just kind of realizing what's going on. So I tend to use touch quite a bit. Um, breathing, of course, but quite often because there is a lot of mobility, people don't get the sense of what's happening and they use the breathing to actually go further than they should. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I, I, I tend to use other distraction techniques. So dependent on the individual, I'll throw lots of distraction techniques in place. So I might get them to chant so that I'll put them in a position where they have to chant and stay in that position, chanting or doing something within that in order to actually get them to strengthen their body and have a bit of a challenge within it. So sometimes I do stuff like this, just depends on the person. Um, case, the second case is kind of interesting, um, B. Um, very, very porous structure. And I, I, I've, I, I've come across this quite a few times. It means that, and, and B and C are very similar in this way. C is just a bit further down the line than B. B is, the structure is very, very porous. It means that anything has a huge effect on it. So it means that the modification has to be, you know, almost drawn back, really, really drawn back quite a way away. So if I give an idea, um, there'll be a pain in the neck. And it, in, it, if you take the arm up, because of the mobility, the pain increases so much, but just to raise the shoulder up and lower it back down, and this is a lady in her 50s, actually releases the shoulder and uses the muscle on the shoulder. Do you see what I mean? So in, it, it's coming to fold forwards, sit on a chair, both feet on the ground and just sliding forwards just a touch, just towards the knee and then staying there. She's like, this is the most incredible deep stretch. And yet it's getting to stay there because it, 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 the, the body is so, so, so sensitive because it is so mobile. The effects run through it so quickly. So almost by doing three or four positions, within the space of a class with lots of breathing broken up in between. And what I mean by three or four positions is that they're static, they're staying there. I'm not going in and not going out. I'm not looking to mobilize, but I'm just taking just a position just to ease off the day, the sleep, prepare for what's happening because every single action has such a huge effect because the body so, is so mobile. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, th I think, the, I think the, as you said, the difficulty is to find the optimal level of connection. Sometimes we do have that tendency if we're not being, you know, we are, we are not 
too connected to the situation, we push too far. Uh, but sometimes to be aware of when are we pushing too far? And as you said beautifully, you know, we, we're not aware of what we're not aware of. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always difficult. And I was just gonna say, because I think we spend pretty much the whole session mainly focused on muscles and um, ligaments and fascias uh, that can explain hypermobility. Obviously there's genetic predisposition or hormonal changes, age group, ethnicity. But I would just say kind of like one more caveat, just in case, if there's a very, very focal area, meaning like, very localized one or two joint area of your body that especially mobile. Some people maybe somewhere in their spine tend to be lower back, sometimes just your thumb. It can also be a double jointed. Um, if you Google double jointed, sometimes means hypermobile, but sometimes actually means that there is a extra bone or extra joints, like um, it happens quite a bit, less so in the fingers because phalangeals doesn't tend to have extra, but in the vertebra, there are some people who have one extra vertebra compared to the other people. So there will be extra level of, you know, bending either forward or backward. So just a little bit of caveat, sometimes it's not just a fascia, not just a muscle, but can be the bone as well. Um, they are rarer, they are definitely more rare compared to the muscles and the fascia group, uh, but they're out there. Um, Colin, any other remark or any wisdom that you want to share with us? Or you got any more questions for me? Yeah, the normal approach um, quite often given is, is to create strength. That's quite often given. So, so keep getting strength and strength in muscles. What I'm keen for people to do that are hypermobile is to keep moving. And there's a reason for this is that I, I see that over time, if we take the third case study, what I see is I actually see that the overmobility of the body actually leads to a huge amount of tension being created within the body at a later age. And, not, and it's not just the process of aging tightening, it's actually that there tends to be more and more sort of tension happening through the body, a lot of restrictions within the body. And then also because of the sensitivity that quite often comes with the hypermobility, but yet not the awareness is that there is a, a movement or pushing forward to do something that creates a huge knock-on effect that has a knock-on effect for days and days and days and days afterwards. So, and then there's an aversion to doing that. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. And I think, again, speaking from the second category, as Colin said it, uh, of people, I think my suggestions on yeah my suggestion I would say uh, from personal experience slightly different my suggestions actually to slow down um, maybe it's because I I have that tendency to over move already in a, in a day I rarely sit down rarely not run around all the time and maybe that's somehow the people the group of people group of individual I gravitate towards and I see as well either in workplace or in my yoga practice mm -hmm. from my practice practice especially um both inside and outside of my um, yoga mats is to slow down, to really pay attention. And as I said already, as I shared already, it's not 
just what happened right at that moment, but also what happened afterward. Um, like the other day, me, me and my partner went to do grocery shopping and I, I, I changed out this habit for years, but I just, just suddenly forgot. I got a um, sling bag, like a messenger bag instead of a backpack. And I ended up loading it a lot. We overshop, we brought so much food into the pack. And literally for the two days after, my shoulders entire like aching and it, it just hurts so much when I inside and outside my sleep. And I think it, I have to then at that moment when I'm in pain, sit there and think what might have constituted for me to be in discomfort. And I think I will work similarly for my hypermobility. If my certain part of my body is stiff, certain part of my body doesn't feel quite right, certain part of my body feel overused or overstretched, I then have to reflect back on what have I done in the past. And then hopefully next time I do the same posture again or the same class on the same teacher or in the same room and same temperature, I then have to slow down at that point and really pay attention what could have gone wrong. Mm. So yeah, that would be my take-home message. <laughs> so so small movements can have a huge effect. Yet the person wants to do the movements and feel that they're actually doing something, but they need to, as you're saying, Stanford, is go to a stage where they don't think that they're holding themselves back, or exploring an edge but actually that they're learning something about themselves through each time that they're doing something and that if again some people aren't diagnosed with hypermobility until much later on in life and they just don't know about it and but the goal for me would be several fold the purpose would be several fold within yoga practice it would be first goal is about stability understanding what makes us unstable and understanding what we put into ourselves that makes us unstable. It would be the awareness of the existing pattern that we have or the body takes with regard to the activities that we're doing within our life. It would be also creating a new pattern, which is what you're suggesting through awareness. You know, it's actually taking this responsibility, which is to say, okay, wow, that's what happened last time. Now I've got to create a new pattern. I need to be aware of creating a new pattern, but not holding myself back so that it's just, you know, what, what, how, which way can I go? For me, the next stage is also prevent injury, is to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm, I, I move, like you said, so slowly that actually we prevent any injury from occurring and we maintain and protect what we've actually got. So, it means that we, we, we keep what we have. So for me, the message that I'd like to sort of finish today off with is, is that the yoga needs to be applied to the individual for a purpose, which means that the yoga or the asana that people use, that it, it, it needs to fit the individual and not the individual to the arsenal. It means that all the rules need to be adapted and changed to make sure that it fits the purpose. Perfect. And I think, sorry, I think you, you touched on it earlier on. I haven't the myth busting, which is open body means open mind. Um, I said, uh, I think the mind and the body are very interlinked, you know, having 
relaxation in me have helped my body to open a bit more, I think, personally. But I think that's definitely a myth as well. You know, open body doesn't always mean open mind. One of my old yoga teacher, not Colin, said before, and I really always so humorously laughed at and also agree. You can have assholes, you can have bendy assholes. I think that will be my response to that myth busting. <laughs> um, so next time I think is I is for irritable bowel syndrome and Colin, you're gonna share your wisdom on that again. Oh, that's next time. I thought we were about to start now. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm just gonna prepare more questions for you if that's okay. <laughs> Can I just say thank you so much to all of you for coming. Um, I can't believe it's been an hour already. That's just kind of crazy. Um, but please ask questions. Please, please, please ask questions. You feel free to ask them. And hopefully um, we're answering them. Um, if we're not answering them, please bust us and say, look, you're not actually answering them. I need more information on this. So please do that. So can I just say thank you so much to all of you um, for coming. And I really look forward to seeing you in three weeks time. Thank you all. See you soon.